We're going to continue with this worship through the preaching of God's Word. And so what I want to do is I want to read our passage for us this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or it will also be on the screens as well. So Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. If you will, bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. And Lord, that in it, on every page, it is pointing to the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, that while we were still sinners, while we were your enemies, you sent Jesus to come and to die on our behalf, to be raised from the grave, that we might be, have hope to be reconciled to you by the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord, this morning, as we engage with your word, we pray for Pastor Kevin, that he would faithfully proclaim your word, give him clarity. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. Lord, open our eyes open our ears, open our hearts, and Lord, let your word through the power of your Holy Spirit shape us and conform us to the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ryan. And thank you for being here. I noticed that we have a lot of parents uh, seated towards the front this morning, and I noticed earlier in worship that you have your cameras. I was not expecting this, um, but you guys... You know, just make sure the flashes are off uh, while I'm preaching. Uh, we, we are excited to have you here. If you're visiting with us, if you're maybe a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who came, we're especially excited um, to have you. We are completing our series today uh, that we've been in called Journey to Jesus. And so if you're new today, let me take just a minute to catch you up. We are looking at part of the Christmas story as told by Matthew in his gospel. And we talked about over the course of the series how the first chapter of Matthew focuses on the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And then in the second chapter, Matthew focuses on the events happening just after the birth of Jesus. And in chapter two, introduces us to a group of magi. We commonly call them wise men. Matthew calls them magi. Magi is the same word from which we get our word magic, meaning these guys were into superstitions 
and spells and fortune telling. They were not traditional Old Testament priests. These guys studied the stars and they read all about the mysterious things in life and they were into anything that could help them uh, predict the future. However, the name wise men is a good title. In a day and age when most people were illiterate, these were very learned individuals. They were very well read. Um, they studied all the philosophies of the ancient Near East, all the religious ideas, all the writings that were available to them. And that first week we talked about how after studying everything that they could study, they came to this point where they said, there has to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than this. We've not found anything, any religious idea, any philosophy that meets the deepest needs of our heart. There has to be another way. And we talked about how that crisis moment led them ultimately to make a journey to find Jesus. And so the first week we talked about in the journey to Jesus, the path of a seeker that all of us have in our journey to Christ, this moment where we say, life has to be better than this. There's got to be more to life than this. It, it can't just be you grow up, you go to school, you get a job, you get married, you have a few kids, you retire, you move to Florida, and you die. There's got to be more to life than just that. And so the first, we, we talked about that crisis, but we said the crisis alone isn't enough. The crisis will get you started in the right direction. It will get you on the journey. It's like the star. It will point you to Jesus, but it is not enough. And so the second week, we talked about the purpose of Scripture. Uh, in that we need the revealed Word of God to help us understand what it really takes to be saved. The crisis alone will not do it. Asking the right questions is not enough. A general belief in a general God isn't enough. Generally trying to be a good person is not enough. We need the revealed word of God to teach us this thing we call the gospel, to proclaim to us the good news of Christ. And so last week we looked at that, and if you have never heard the gospel before, I would invite you to go to our website, northwaychurch.net, and to watch last week's message where I lay out what the Bible says about the gospel. This week, we are focusing on the promise to sustain. So for the person who has a crisis, who then becomes a follower of Christ, what then? Let's go back to the passage that Ryan read earlier. We'll look at uh, just part of it, starting in verse 7. Here's what we read. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Now, if you were listening earlier as Ryan read this passage, you know that Herod was not being entirely honest with these magi. He did want to find Jesus, but he had zero intention of going and worshiping Jesus. And here is why. When the magi came to Herod and asked him, where is the one who was born 
king of the Jews, that took Herod's normal paranoia and it put it on steroids. And, and here's why. Herod was called a king, but that was really not an accurate title. Herod was known as King Herod, but he acquired his kingship through political maneuvering. He was not born a king. He was appointed a king, and he knew that that position was on shaky ground at best. And if the political winds began to blow against him, he could easily lose that position as king. And the greatest threat to his kingship was someone coming along who could claim the rightful title of king, someone who had been born a king. Meaning this child, whoever he was, was a huge threat to Herod. And he would do everything in his power to make sure this child did not see his next birthday. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, now, one of the things to note here, by the way, is that often we picture these magi coming on the night that Jesus was born. We have the nativity, and there are the wise men, and they're there next to the shepherds. <laughs> Except this was probably much later, not probably this was later. Jesus at this point was probably about a year old. Matthew says they come to the house they had settled in in Bethlehem. The other thing to note here is that Matthew says that the child was with his mother Mary, meaning Joseph is not mentioned. <laughs> Joseph may not have even been there. They had settled into Bethlehem. Joseph had to go and find work. Work potentially would have been in Jerusalem, which was just a few miles to the north. Can you imagine poor Joseph missing this event, coming home that night from work, and Mary saying, you wouldn't believe what happened today. Guess what you missed, honey, of all the days that I don't take a vacation day, you know, the Magi show up with these gifts. Oh. This was much later when, when this happened. Here's what Matthew says next. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. At some point, Herod realized that he had been duped by these Magi. They did not go back and report to him where they had found this one who was born king of the Jews. So if you keep reading in Matthew's gospel, here's what you find out. He sends soldiers into Bethlehem to kill all the boys who were two years old and under. That was overkill, no pun intended. Uh, based on the time that it would have taken the Magi to travel and find Jesus. Jesus was probably about a year old at this point, but Herod rather would rather use a hammer than a surgeon's scalpel. He easily could have sent soldiers into Bethlehem, which was just a small village. And for these soldiers, all they would have had to have done was to have asked around, hey, has anyone seen these guys who 
wear a lot of fancy clothes. They're from another country. They would have come in with an entourage. Did they go? Did they visit a family? That just would have taken too much trouble. So Herod gives the order. Just go into Bethlehem. Find all the boys two years old and under just to be sure. And let's just kill them all. Let's just make sure we wipe them all out. That way we know, we can know that we've killed this one who was born king of the Jews. Several years ago, Katie and I had the chance to travel to Israel. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to visit a couple of Herod's palaces. When Herod was alive, he had five palaces strategically placed throughout Israel. Again, he was very paranoid. He was very insecure. And so he placed these palaces in places where he could quickly retreat to one of these fortresses. If some sort of trouble, if some sort of riot started to happen, he could get to a place where he was well protected. Now, one of those was in Jerusalem. That one's no longer there. Uh, there's one in Caesarea down by the Mediterranean Sea. There's one by the Dead Sea called Masada. There's one in what is present-day Jordan. And there was one just to the south of Jerusalem, in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, it's in ruins, but that one is still there today. And that most certainly would have been the fortress from where Herod sent soldiers from there into Bethlehem to kill all those uh, babies. I can remember standing in that palace and you look around and you look to the south where, where Bethlehem is and it's just flat. And I remember thinking, man, it's just two or three miles. He would have heard from that palace the screams of those mothers and fathers during that night of terror when he sent the soldiers in. He didn't care. He wanted to retain power. If it took killing a few babies to retain that power, so be it. He did not care. Now, thankfully, before his reign of terror, Joseph was warned in a dream, get out of town. Get out of town quickly. Herod's on a rampage. He's coming after you. And so they escaped. Uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and they escaped to Egypt. And as you heard in the passage, Joseph wasn't the only one that was warned. The Magi was warned as well. Matthew doesn't go into a lot of details, but this would have meant for them they had to quickly get out of Israel without being seen. Uh, Herod would have had informants everywhere, soldiers everywhere. They had to somehow manage to take some back route and get out of town because now they as well were on Herod's radar and they had to escape quickly. Way too often, I will hear well-meaning Christians say something like this. Hey, if you'll just come to Christ, all your problems will be over. If you will just follow Jesus, if you will just come to Jesus, then life will be great and all your problems will be over. Problem with a statement like that is the Magi came to Jesus and it created more problems for them. Uh, certainly for Mary and Joseph, the presence of Jesus in their home created more problems. Uh, the Magi come to worship Jesus and their life wasn't, wasn't suddenly rainbows and unicorns. They all of a sudden became the targets of Herod. Here's why I tell you all of this. When you decide to follow Christ... There is a cost that will have to be paid. Jesus said it this way in 
Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Now, Jesus wasn't literally here talking about building a tower. He was talking about counting the cost of following him, considering how much it cost to follow Christ. Again, in this series, we've been talking about the Magi and their journey to Jesus and how it is a parallel for all of us in our own journey to Christ. And one of the things that we need to understand is when you come to Christ, that will not mean that all of your problems suddenly go away. Now, it will mean that your greatest problem will go away. The problem you have with a division between you and God Uh, But it will also create other problems. Coming to Christ may mean that Herod is mad at you. That soldiers are coming for you. That you will have to be inconvenienced and go home another way. In fact, let's let's just lay it out. If you've got your bulletin with you, on the back there is a message map that is there. If you follow Christ, number one, you need to know that you will face persecution. That is a promise for all who follow Christ. Notice what Jesus said in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I don't know how much I can add to that. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, here's one thing you need to expect. You will be hated. When you follow Christ, you will have some friends who reject you, not because of any other reason than the fact that you follow Christ. You may lose a business deal because it is known that you are a follower of Christ. You will not get invited to certain events because you follow Christ. Now, admittedly, in our nation, uh, persecution is not near what it is for those who follow Christ in many other places around the world. We are able to gather here today freely. Most of us do not fear that we're going to be arrested for coming to church today. Uh, We do not think that suddenly authorities will bust in and arrest us because it's illegal to be a Christian. Uh, You you do not fear that you will be arrested for owning a Bible or fined or placed in jail simply because you own uh, a Bible. Uh, Most of us do not have to fear that we will lose our job simply because we follow Christ. Many around the world face that kind of persecution. Admittedly, in our country, we have had as Christians a favored status. However, I think that is changing. And I think it is changing rapidly. You may have seen just last week in the news, a Christian group had reserved a restaurant to have a gathering in, in Virginia. 90 minutes before that gathering was to take place, the restaurant called and told them that they were canceling it. They were not allowed to meet in that restaurant. When they asked why, they said it is because your group supports pro-life candidates. And we are not going to allow you to meet in our restaurant because we disagree with those views. 90 minutes before the event. Now I understand that being refused service in a restaurant is not the worst thing that you can face. 
If that's the worst thing that happens to me for following Christ, I think I will be okay. However, this persecution is increasing. And I think especially for those of you who are younger, if you're 40 or under in here, in your lifetime especially, for you to follow Christ will cost you something. And in our culture, I think it's increasingly going to be more and more pressure on you to reject your faith, to not make your faith public. Jesus promised this. This should not surprise us. Jesus made it very clear. If the world hates me, he said, then understand it will hate you as well. So the first promise, if you follow Christ, is you will face persecution. However, as well, you will be filled with joy. Not only will you face persecution, you will be filled with joy. Matthew describes the Magi as coming in and they were overjoyed that the star had led them to Jesus. They came and they worshiped Jesus and they were full of joy. Now understand joy is different than happiness. Happiness is largely dependent upon the external circumstances around us. Happiness is based upon what is happening outside of us. So if our team wins then we're happy. If our team loses, we're unhappy. If we get the new job or the raise or the promotion, we're happy. If we get the pink slip, we're unhappy. If we ask her out or ask him out and she says yes, he says yes, we're happy. If we ask him out or ask him out, ask her out and we get the Heisman, we're unhappy. All right. So happiness is largely based upon our external circumstances. I mean, there's a mile-long list we could go through, talk about how our circumstances dictate happiness. Joy, however, is an internal state that remains regardless of external circumstances. One of my favorite passages is Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Notice what he wrote. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And notice what he wrote. For the joy set before him, he what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured awful external circumstances. Jesus at this point was not happy, but he had joy. Why? Because he knew that soon he would be reunited with the Father. Because he knew that going through this awful external circumstance would mean the salvation of you and me. He understood that there was joy even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. I came across a quote recently by a Syrian pastor, a Syrian Christian pastor. Syria is 90% Muslim. There is a lot of persecution of Christians in Syria. I want you to notice what this pastor wrote. He said, the church is the source of joy because Jesus stayed on the cross and Syria is on the cross, meaning we're facing persecution and awaiting the day it will be resurrected. No one in any society has this joy except the church. 
In other words, even in the midst of this awful persecution, we are the only ones in our nation who really have joy. Why? Because we have this relationship with Christ. So if you decide to follow Christ, you will face persecution. There will be elements of your, of your life that are harder, not easier. However, in the midst of that, you will also receive joy. Number three, if you follow Christ, you will find God's wisdom. Here's a great part of the story. The Magi come, they find this joy, they worship Christ, and then they are warned by God in a dream to go another route, to not go home the way they came, to bypass Jerusalem or wherever Herod was at that moment because Herod was out for blood. Joseph and Mary as well were warned to get out of Bethlehem fast because Herod was coming for them. When you become a follower of Christ, you get the promise of the Holy Spirit residing in you and the guidance of God in your life. In John 14 and 15, Jesus promised that if he went away, that he would send his Holy Spirit into the world and all who follow Christ get the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. So when you follow Christ, you get the Holy Spirit residing inside you. The Holy Spirit has a lot of roles in your life, but here is one of those. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Meaning that as a follower of Christ, you get the wisdom of God. You get the guidance from the Holy Spirit on decisions that you are to, to make in life, how to reject bad ideas and how to follow what is right. There's another uh, verse that speaks to this and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible and it is a prayer that virtually every morning of my life I will pray this prayer this comes from James James says if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you almost every morning I pray this why? Because I understand how much I lack wisdom. And God promises that he will give it generously to all who ask. And so I claim that promise and almost every morning I say, Lord, I need wisdom. Please give me the wisdom that comes from you today. So if you follow Christ, you will face persecution. You will be filled with joy. You will find God's wisdom. And here's the last promise. You will be fully loved and finally victorious. You may face persecution in this life. You may face all kinds of tragedy in this life. But you understand this, are fully loved by God. And in the end, you will have the final victory. This story could have gone much differently. The Magi could have tried to make an exit out of Israel and Herod could have found them, had them all put to death for trying to trick him. It could have ended much differently for these magi. They could have been punished. They could have been imprisoned. Any number of things. And the Bible never downplays or minimizes um, tragic circumstances in life. Uh, pain is pain and it is awful. Death is death. 
and it is awful. Losing a loved one is gut-wrenching. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, well, when you face persecution or you face difficulty or you face tragedy, if you're a follower of Christ, you just need to sing, the sun will come out tomorrow and everything's going to be okay and you need to smile and act like everything is fine. The Bible never does that. It never minimizes pain in any shape or form. But it does say, In the midst of all of this, you have this promise that in the end, you will be redeemed and everything will be made right. Take this story as told by Matthew. Here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to zoom way out. In that moment, Herod thought he had power. And the way the world views it, he did. He was the most powerful individual in that region. He could tell soldiers to go into Bethlehem and put to death little babies, and they would obey that order without question. That was power. What he said went. He had in that region virtually absolute power. Historians tell us, though, that this was just a mirage because shortly after he gave these orders for the soldiers to go and kill all these babies, Herod became sick. Scholars have tried to to guess exactly what the illness was based on the symptoms as described by historians. And there are all sorts of medical guesses as exactly what what he had. But what they know is that it was extremely painful. His organs began to shut down. And one writer described it this way that he would wake up in the morning and worms would be coming out of his body. Um, because, and likely it was maggots in a day and age when windows were open and his body was shutting down and his body was starting to decay. He would wake up every morning and that would be the case. He was in extreme pain. He at one point tried to commit suicide. It was so much pain. He tried every sort of medical um, technique that was available to him uh, in in that day and age, but to no avail. And just a couple of years after Jesus was born, Herod died an awful death. And for the last 2,000 years, I'm convinced these magi have been in heaven worshiping Jesus while Herod sits in hell. When you zoom out from this event, here's what you discover. That yes, they faced persecution, and yes, Herod thought he had power, but in the end, ultimately, God redeemed those who were following him. You may face persecution in this life. You may face a lot of challenges in this life, but the Bible promises that they are temporary, that our sufferings are temporary. Notice what Paul wrote in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are finally victorious through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the promise that we get, that no matter what we face in life, 
that we in the end are finally victorious and that we are fully loved by God. This is the last sermon that I will preach for 2022 other than my Christmas Eve messages. Uh, this, this is my last Sunday. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, I'll sit in front of the TV like many of you and I'll watch the New Year's Eve celebrations. And at many of those uh, celebrations, they will have some sort of character like a cartoon character, some sort of animated character. And that animated character will have a sash that says 2022 and he'll look like an old man. And then they'll have a new baby wearing the 2023 sash. You've seen this before, right? So the old man's going out, the 2022. You will find me this year in front of the TV yelling at that old man 2022. Just go ahead and die already. <laughs> this has been an awful year. It has been such a difficult year. I cannot wait to turn the calendar to 2023. This has been such a hard year. However, through it all, I have never doubted the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Even through it all, I know that in God, in Christ, I am fully loved by God. And that in the end, there is a final victory because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I hope you know that. I hope you know that love and that promise that one day, that everything will be made right, and that one day you will be finally victorious. 